Hey guys, hope y'all are doing fantastic today. I'm in the car because I'm headed over to Tyler where I'm going to be preaching this morning at two churches. These are the churches that are pastored by our youngest son, Nathan. We're pulpit swapping today, which means I'm going out there and Nathan's coming here. And, and yes, I've heard the jokes about finally getting some good preaching on a Sunday morning uh, because somebody else is preaching. Uh, you'll be so blessed by Nathan. He is truly a servant of God. He adores God. He loves God. He is anointed by God, and we're so blessed by him. Nathan was essentially raised in this church, so if there's something you don't like about him, it's kind of your fault too, so don't just blame Chrissy and me. Uh, he uh, graduated from Boswell High School in 2008, went on to get his bachelor's degree from Stephen F. Austin out in Nacogdoches, and then a master's in counseling also. Uh, he is pursuing uh, licensing as a professional counselor, pastoring the churches, and he is happily married to his beautiful wife, Jessalyn, who's with him today, and, oh, of course, their daughter, Ariella, who, which means lioness of God, our beautiful one and only granddaughter, and she is amazing as well. Be blessed today. I'm praying for you guys. Uh, I hope you'll pray for the folks out in East Texas because they get me today. So uh, pray that God would move out there too. And uh, just, I would invite you to take a moment and put your hands together to clap for God because what God's going to do through Nathan this morning. It is my privilege to introduce to you Nathaniel Winfield Briggs, our son of whom we are so proud. God bless and have a beautiful day of worship together. Bye-bye. Well, good morning, y'all. Such an awkward introduction. Um, well, uh, as I was so formally introduced, my name is Nathan Briggs, and I get the great pleasure of uh, coming together to worship with you all this morning. Uh, and I have the uh, great privilege, I guess, to bring the message this morning. Um, and at this time, I'm, I'm sitting in here and I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, it's 1140. Is my dad handling everything okay? He should be over at the second church about a whole 40 minutes ago. Um, he may already be eating lunch. I don't know quite yet. Um, but this morning, I want to talk to you, and I want to uh, share with you all a message that um, I've titled, Filling Someone's Shoes. Uh, and as we jump into the message this morning, I'd like to invite you first to stand as you're able for our scripture reading this morning. We're going to be reading out of Joshua chapter 24 verses 1 through 3 and 14 through 25. So I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor lived in the land beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people replied, 
we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, He preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for He alone is our God. Then Joshua warned the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, He will turn against you and destroy you, even though He has been so good to you. But the people answered Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied. We are witnesses to what we have said. All right then, Joshua said. Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. See, I'm going to have to get on to my dad after today. Um, every service that I've done the scripture reading, um, I follow up with the line of, this is the word of the Lord, and the normal response is, thanks be to God. Um, and I didn't know he'd gotten quite so liberal in his reading of scripture to not have people follow the proper call and response. <sighs> some people, some people. Uh, well, like I said, my name's Nathan Briggs, and I'm so glad to be here. Um, I know some of your faces, and I don't recognize others. Um, but let me just go ahead and start by saying once more, it is a wonderful pleasure to be here. Um, in the time that I had growing up, um, I spent 17 years roughly in this church growing up. Um, we moved to Lighthouse, or what was once Lake Worth United Methodist, when I was about uh, one and a half, I think it was how old I was. Um, and my dad has been here at Lighthouse now for um, over, what is it, just coming up on 30 years? So, um, and I'm so sorry for your difficulty in dealing with him. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I knew in coming to Lighthouse today was I was going to get a lot of commentary. Um, last service, I told everyone, uh, you know, I'm expecting comments from folks of, I remember when you were this big. Um, at the beginning of last service, I was up to 17. As of this service, I'm at 29. <laughs> I know, it's been good counting, y'all. But the reason I tell you this is because in order for my message, I think, to make this, the point that I'm wanting it to make today, or the point that I hope it comes across with, um, I need you to understand that this isn't who I am anymore, and that I'm not my dad. So let's talk for just a minute. Um, first of all, my dad, uh, and I'm sure some of y'all have seen the pictures of my daughter, Ariella. Um, she's in the back right now, hopefully not destroying things or catching things on fire. Um, she's three years old. And one of the, my favorite things about her is the fact that right now she's working very hard to be big. Um, she wants to help cook. 
Uh, she wants to help clean. She wants to be like mom. She wants to be like dad. Um, we have to lock the door to make sure we have privacy when we're going to the bathroom. Um, you know, but she wants to do everything we do. She wants to drive. She doesn't want to be in the car seat. Uh, but one of my favorite things to watch her do is whenever she gets it in her mind that she wants to wear our shoes. Um, now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen a child wear their parents' shoes. Have most of y'all seen that? Oh, the good times that happen from that. Um, she'll put them on and she'll kind of, you know, waddle. And then she'll stand there and she'll look so proud. Like, look, I made a whole step. Um, and as she does this, she'll uh, fall, she'll stumble, um, but she'll get up and she'll try again. Now, to be clear, um, Ari's three years old, and so she does a really good job of walking on her own now. Um, but she has a really hard time walking, like any of us do, uh, if she doesn't have the right size shoes on. Um, whenever you get a pair of shoes that are too tight, you get blisters, right? Um, and if you've ever tried to do any kind of uh, exercise or hiking, um, if you wear shoes that are too big, the likelihood that you're going to roll your ankle or twist your ankle is pretty good. And to be fair, even with the right size shoes on, sometimes we manage to stumble and fall, right? And so one of the things that we have to recognize is that we are called by God to fill the shoes that God has set up for us. You know, growing up in this church, as I stated, I'd heard many times, you know, Nathan, you're so uh, great, most of the time was what I heard, um, and you're going to be just like your dad when you grow up. Um, and I struggled for a real long time with that statement. Um, I knew that when I left Lighthouse, when I went to college, um, I had a feeling that I'd probably be called into ministry. wasn't excited about it. I wasn't, y'all. Um, and part of the reason for that was because of the comparison that I had in my own head. Would I be able to do as much as my dad did? And to be clear, my dad continues to do some pretty solid things. And his call... And the way that he leads is not the way that I lead. The things that he does and the things that I do are different. And I'm proud and happy to be able to say that while my father and I maybe walk some different paths, we serve the same God. I will never be the Christian that God needs me to be if I'm busy trying to fill someone's shoes that aren't mine. You know, it's funny because as Christians, um, we follow in the footsteps of giants. Uh, I would hope that all of us here do our best to emulate a life that Christ lived, um, but we will never complete the miracles that Christ did. Um, to be fair, we get to conquer the grave, but not how Christ did. And we need to recognize, and I hope that we all know, that we strive to be like Jesus, striving toward perfection while recognizing that we're not going to get there. And this is an important thing to recognize, and I think it's something that Joshua 
had to deal with a little bit more prominently even than we do reflecting on the life of Christ, because we don't expect perfection. We don't expect to be Jesus. But Joshua is following in the footsteps of somebody else. Some of you might have heard the name Moses before, right? Uh, now, Moses is a pretty big guy when we think of the Bible. Um, I would argue that if we were to sit down and make a list, Moses would probably be in almost everyone's top 10, right? We're talking Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. Um, maybe we toss in Abraham, Paul, Peter, uh, Noah, maybe, but probably somewhere in our top 10, we'd go ahead and we'd put Moses in there. There have been movies made about Moses, both live action and cartoon, that depict the things that he did. Uh, as a reminder, he stood up to Pharaoh. He led the people out of Egypt. Moses wandered the desert with the Israelites, telling them about the promised land. Uh, Moses was the guy who called down a number of plagues on Egypt, if you'll remember. Moses, in all of the things that he did, and the most important thing to remember is that he was serving God in the things that he did, and he was trying to bring relationship to the people of Israel with God. Moses died at 120 years old, with neither his eyes being weak nor his strength gone, according to Deuteronomy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here at 30 and kind of looking at my glasses and going, you know, well, my eyes are already weak. Um, and I'm really not expecting to hit 120, I'll just be honest with y'all. But this is the man that Joshua was called to fill the shoes of. No, this is the man that was called to follow behind Moses, not fill his shoes. You see, let's take just a moment and set the scene. The Israelites, as some of you probably know, had a bit of a problem following God and His will. Um, they had trouble with following God because God didn't fit into their idea of what a God should be. Um, from their experiences, from living in the land of Egypt and from all of the neighboring countries and civilizations around them, um, these people would worship idols very specifically, um, images very specifically drawn to emulate some sort of deity. Uh, in case you haven't noticed in the church, we don't draw sculptures of God. We don't paint pictures of God. Um, the closest that we get is maybe some drawings and pictures of Jesus. Um, but even then, we're not worshiping that picture. The people of Israel struggled with this idea. Their thought was, well, the gods that the Amorites have, these statues over here, seem to be real easy to worship. They're right there. There's not a whole lot of thought that goes into it, right? It's just that's what we worship. The Israelites liked having things simple. And even with guidelines, even with rules, Moses had brought down the Ten Commandments. Moses had brought to the people of Israel the laws and the regulations that they were to follow to be in relationship with God. In spite of all of the help that God gave the people of Israel to be in relationship to Him, they struggled. And to be clear, in case you didn't know, 
The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God has always desired relationship with people. That's why He created the law, to set the people of Israel apart from every other nation and country in the world. We're just lucky enough that we have Jesus to follow. Now, the people of Israel have a bit of a knack for being able to do things that they should not do. Uh, does anybody remember the golden calf? Yeah? Um, and Joshua, having taken up the mantle of the leader for the Israelites, knows that the Israelites are struggling once again in trying to follow God's will and God's commands for them. And at this point, Joshua has been serving as a leader amongst the people of Israel for a good chunk of his life. He's retaken the promised land with them. Um, they've gone through all kinds of uh, difficulties and got to witness all kinds of miracles that God has performed during this. And yet, Joshua is not Moses. So, let's pick up this morning, starting with verse 1. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Um, the first thing I'd like you to recognize is the fact that Joshua decided to call the leaders together. It had been placed on his heart that he needed to have this conversation, and he was going to follow through. Joshua was a leader in his own right, and he went forth with God's blessing and claimed the promised land. He had followed God's direction by this time. He knew God would continue to lead him faithfully. And so he does not fear the other leaders. He does not have concern that they're going to disagree with him. He simply wants them to come and to enter into conversation to have relationship restored with God. Let's go ahead on into verse 2. Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. I think Joshua here is trying to remind the people of Israel that our God is a God of promises and that our God keeps his promises. The funny thing is, uh, we're going to jump ahead a little bit here in just one second, but I want to give an important note. Starting there in verse 3, moving all the way through verse 13, Joshua is reminding the people of Israel all the miraculous things that God has done. He talks about leading them out of Egypt. He talks about the plagues that were called down upon Pharaoh. He talks about them wandering the desert. He shares with them and reminds them that God has continued to provide for their needs in spite of difficult circumstances, that He has led the people of Israel into the promised land, 
And that now, it's up to them to remember these things. And he also does this to warn them. Verse 14. So fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You see, Abraham was chosen by God to have a relationship with God. But before Abraham chose to follow the one true God, he grew up knowing of other gods until he came to recognize truth. And as the Israelites are now uh, in the place of the Amorites, they are surrounded by people who worship other gods, people of different religions. And he challenges them to say, you can worship the gods of our ancestors, or you can worship the gods of the land that we currently reside in, or you can worship the God. But he also tells them, you must choose God. It's not and, it's not in addition to, it is all God or no God. Verse 16, the people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, He preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for He alone is our God. Um, I got to tell you real quick, if you remember a few minutes ago, I mentioned verses uh, 3 through 13, right? Um, with Joshua laying out all of these wonderful, miraculous events that God had done for the people of Israel. Um, and I love right here that the response of the leaders is to parrot back what Joshua just said to them, um, trying, I think, very poorly to hide the fact that they know that they are messing up. Um, it's kind of like, you know, oh no, we remember, you know, uh, we, know what, we know what God's done for us. We understand what's happened. Yeah, we get it. He took us through the wilderness. He brought us out of Egypt. And I'd like to imagine that as they begin this process of, um, honestly, I would say paying lip service to what Joshua has just told them, that he quirks an eyebrow. And Joshua knows the short memory of the people. Um, one of my favorite quotes um, from J.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings uh, is from the King of the Elves who makes the statement, short is the memory of men. Verse 19, 
Then Joshua warned the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, He will turn against you and destroy you even though he has been so good to you. Joshua pushes back against the people of Israel here a little bit. These leaders who know that things are going on behind the scenes, these leaders who know that there are people doing things that are probably against the will of God, and Joshua reminds them and tells them the same thing that we know today, which is you are either all for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are either all in on that or you're out. You know, He will destroy you if you stop following Him. God wants you to be in relationship with Him is what Joshua is saying. God wants you to have eternal salvation. And Joshua has painted an image of what is to come. If you continue to make these mistakes, if you continue to screw up, you're going to find yourself in a real hot place. Verse 21, but the people answered Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Sounds like a petulant child, but a denial there, I'd say. No, we will serve the Lord um, because they're being pushed. They're being told that they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And Joshua needs the people to recognize that they must turn away. He wants them to make sure they know what they're choosing. And he clarifies that in verse 22. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied. We are witnesses to what we have said. Um, witness is a really important word here in today's scripture. Um, because when we talk about witnesses, witnesses are people that are able to be uh, trusted to report information that's valid, right? Um, in the form of a court situation, um, people who get up on the stand are sworn in um, and can be convicted of perjury if they lie about events that they witnessed, about things that they saw. Um, in our personal lives, uh, we serve as witnesses to share about the love that God has for other people. Not a small deal, right? But we're also supposed to be here to witness to one another and hold each other accountable for what we witness in each other's lives. Um, many of y'all have uh, maybe never heard me preach, um, but allow me to tell you a very plain and simple fact that one of the highest things that I think is of importance to a Christian life is people who will hold you accountable. Um, I know that Lifehouse does fellowship groups. Is that what they're called at this point? Life groups, excuse me. Um, and in case you are not involved with a life group, here's a little shameless plug, get in one. 
because it is through the community that you make in those small groups with people who can hold you accountable, with people who can pray for you, that God will move in giant ways in your life. Every Christian is not meant to be an island unto themselves. Let me continue real quick. Verse 23. All right then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 24, the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. Now, I talked to you just a moment ago about witnessing, about accountability. And one thing that I want you to recognize is here in this place, in verse 25, Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. Now, a covenant is not a simple promise. A covenant is a foundation of relationship between people and God. And so the expectation when you make a covenant before God is that God is going to be involved in helping to make whatever it is that you're trying to do be fruitful. And let me tell you, God never removes Himself from a covenant. But sometimes we as people do. I think Joshua knows this. I think Joshua knows that not all the people of Israel are going to be able to maintain this relationship, but he wants to offer them the, the chance to recognize what kind of things they can have by choosing God anyway. And so they make a covenant together. He has them review the laws. And he wants the people to remember the mistakes of their ancestors. And his hope, I imagine, was that the people could then be good stewards to God. Um, Joshua was not Moses. Um, to be quite frank, from everything that I know about Moses, I'm not sure that Moses could have actually done what Joshua did here as well as Joshua did it. Um, in case you don't remember, um, part of the whole issue about wandering in the desert was Moses got so angry at one point that instead of tapping a stone to get some water out of it, he smacked a rock real hard and got in trouble for it by God. Every leader has flaws. Every leader is different. And as the church, we are called to be leaders. It doesn't matter if you get up and preach on a Sunday morning or if you witness to your friend at work. You are a leader and a representative of God's love for other people if you've chosen that love for yourself. Joshua didn't lead the people out of Egypt. He didn't part the Red Sea. He didn't bring the Ten Commandments down off the mountain. I will tell you that he led the people into the promised land. He divided that land fairly, and he kept things 
pretty well organized until the day that he died. He worked hard to achieve these things and did it by God's grace and with God's help. Joshua was not Moses, and we are not the Christians who have come before us. God calls all of us to do things, and He doesn't expect us to be the same people as the path that we followed of those who came before. Um, I think probably everyone can think about somebody in their lives that they feel they have to live up to, right? Um, for a lot of people, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a, a mentor, um, it could be a whole host of people. It can be scary and overwhelming to consider that we have to be that person. But the fact of the matter is, God doesn't expect us to be someone else. God expects us to follow His desire for our lives, and He looks at each and every one of us individually for it. You know, the church doesn't look the same as it did 2,000 years ago. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of people who, in a hurt spirit, would say that the church isn't the same as it looked 100 years ago, even 50 years ago. And I think there's a lot of people that would say that the world is a much worse place. But I would challenge you. Friends, we are still the church. It does not matter what kind of circumstances we face. It doesn't matter about what's going on in the world. God moves. We move forward with the knowledge that God is with us, just as He was with Moses, as He was with Joshua, as He was with so many other important people in the Bible. God is here. God is over in East Texas with my dad this morning. What we need to recognize is that as long as we have Scripture to lead us, the Holy Spirit to guide us, the life of Christ to have as an example, if we're able to lean on the tradition of those who have come before us and use our own experiences to lead others to God, God's going to do what God needs to do. So in closing this morning, I would like to just encourage you to recognize a very simple fact. If you are a Christian who is being intentional in their Christian life, meaning that you're sharing the gospel, you don't need to do it the same as me. You don't need to do it the same as my dad. You ask for what God needs you to do in your life. Don't try and fill someone's shoes besides your own. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we're gathered together, we say thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you love us enough, that you know us individually, that you care for our hearts, and that you have a plan for us. Father, we just ask that we would have direction on what we're called to do, and that we would live into your plan for our lives. In your holy name we pray, amen.